Just over eight years ago, a man known to plenty of Canadian pro wrestling fans began his career in WWE after a run that began on the indies and also extended to both Canadian sports TV and radio. And while you might not immediately remember the name Kyle Edwards, you likely remember the man or know the name behind that manufactured name, that being Arda Ocal, someone I've wanted to have on this very show for quite some time. Arda, now an on-screen regular for ESPN of both SportsCenter and ESPN's NHL coverage, talked to me for an hour about a ton of stuff, his days in WWE and why they ended, how he got the name, how Vince McMahon had a say in that name, his days on Aftermath and Right After Raw on Sportsnet 360 with the one and only Renee Paquette and also Jimmy Corderas, what he's doing with ESPN and a bunch of everything in between. I really enjoyed this conversation. It was exactly what I was hoping for, and I was glad that uh, we were able to talk. And I think you're going to like it as well. So join me on this week's Punch Out with the former Kyle Edwards in WWE, longtime wrestling fan and Star Wars aficionado Arda Ocal of ESPN starting right now. Well, today I have a very special guest in an interview that has been literally years in the making, according to my DMs on Twitter. He is here. You might know him as a studio host in NHL on ESPN coverage, perhaps Sports Center. You've seen him on there. Perhaps you've heard his voice on Never Tell Me the Odds, a podcast series focused on the world of Star Wars. You might know him as a former Kyle Edwards in WWE. You might know him from his days in Aftermath. You might know him from, I don't know, your local donut shop, your local apple orchard. You never know. For the first time ever on this show, it's Arda Ocal. Arda, welcome to Josh Nason's Poncho for the very first time. Josh, it's uh, been a long time coming. Our first DM had to be what, like, I don't know, 2010, 2009, like our first actual correspondence, I would say. Yeah. It's been a, a long time, like like the the combat world. We definitely had some interactions there uh, early on, like hardcore sports radio early, like, I, I don't know, like 2010, 2011. And then, yeah, dude, it's been th- this particular interview has been a, or a conversation, I should say. Let's call it a conversation. conversation. has been a long time coming. Uh, but uh, but yeah, dude, I'm happy that we're finally able to do it. So how are That's- you? The things are good. Things are good. Yeah, our first uh, DM was back in November 27th, 2019, just after American Thanksgiving. Oh, sorry, 2009. My bad, 2009. Yeah, yeah. Long time that, ago. That tracks. That tracks. <laughs> that tracks. Well, a lot has happened since uh, we first started DMing. Of course, uh, your current days, and uh, as I mentioned, doing uh, ESPN work, you always have done a ton with uh, esports as well. Uh, hockey season has just started by the time we've talked, and Connor Bedard all around his way to the all-time goals record with his number one uh, <laughs> that this week. And uh, yes, you're fully in a hockey season and uh, and getting into it, huh? I'd like to congratulate Connor Bedard on defeating WWE and AEW in the ratings. Yeah, uh, I know that uh, that was a huge feat for this for Bedard and the Blackhawks. I'm sure they were waiting for the overnight ratings. You know, just like all the WWE and AEW fans were. That's right. All the, the key demos. The key demos. The key That's demos yeah. and everything. I'm sure yeah. they were just dissecting it all. Uh, no, but it it was kind of funny. It was like that day, opening day. Obviously, a huge night in hockey. ESPN has the triple header, so like I'm super busy. But like, it also just happens to be this like 
tentpole day for wrestling fans, right? Like where NXT is like supercharged and AEW is, you know, full of what's Adam Copeland's debut and a bunch of other stuff happening. So it's like this like crazy, my worlds are colliding kind of day uh, as I'm, you know, knee deep in hockey. Yeah. Have you found, uh, you know, with ESPN, it doesn't have a, like a ton of WB coverage, obviously like other sports and, and all that, but with, um, and have you found kind of a, a pocket of people there that are admittedly wrestling fans and, and that you can commiserate with and, and kind of catch up on things and all that? Absolutely. Uh, there's actually a internal slack of like, I want to say like 45 of us Wow. that we just like have conversations, especially whenever stuff comes up, but there is still a vertical like I, and actually that's how I started at ESPN back in 2016, the WWE vertical was launched. Uh, and I reached out because that just happened to time with when I left WWE. So I'm looking for people to help contribute. I am available and I would love to. And they, their response legitimately was, how much esports do you know? <laughs> and to <laughs> which I said, uh, I can learn it pretty fast. And so that was that ended up being the first thing I did with ESPN was Ironically, going to M- Madison Square Garden, not for a WWE show, but for esports, where they had the League of Legends World Championship back in 2016. And it was crazy. It, the, the audience was ruckus. It was a ton of fun. And I fell in love with competitive gaming uh, that night. I was like, this is crazy. This is awesome. Uh, it, and it, honestly, a lot of it reminded me of pro wrestling. Like, it was really, really cool. So I... um. I'm grateful for that. I did. I did. I have contributed to uh, pro wrestling here and there. ESPN. I mean, we did a uh, a live stream a couple years ago, leading into a WrestleMania, for example, and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, to answer your question directly, there is definitely a healthy amount of people within the walls, especially in Bristol, Connecticut, that absolutely love pro wrestling. I assume the one and only Mark Raimondi is on that chat. Uh, sorry, who's that? Excuse me. Uh, can't, is that a legitimate question? I'm just kidding. He's awesome. Yes, he absolutely is. Yeah, he's uh, him and I have yet to. We always talk about him and I always say we got to go to an indie show somewhere because uh, we don't live in the same t- uh, coast, let alone the same town. So we we always joke that whenever we're in the same town, we got to find some random indie show to go hit. Oh hit my up. god, that would be a uh, that'd be a great a great moment when you two finally get a chance to to meet and actually do that. He's uh, as you mentioned, he's a big. Uh, pwg guy out there living in uh, california and uh, of course you're an east coast guy that'd be a, a monumental meeting if that can ever happen it would yes it would <laughs> so so on your uh a docket these days i mentioned uh, nhl uh, you're still doing work with esports and everything too you said or- yeah I, I i i mean less so than before uh during the pandemic it was all esports all the time quite frankly we were doing like a sh- uh, at least a show or two every day about every different, uh, all different esports. There was like a Rocket League show, a League of Legends show, a Call of Duty League show, an Overwatch League show, uh, a general show about just catch all news about streamers. What's Ninja doing? What's Tim the Tapman doing? Just basically all this, just anything, like anything and everything that had to do with competitive gaming, Valorant shows. Like it was just, it was awesome. It was a lot of fun to dive into all of those uh, different scenes and different esports uh, and it was a ton of fun i'm a, I'm a gamer at heart like i love video games i am nowhere near the level of competitive but i appreciate it and the amount of effort that it goes into that goes into becoming a competitive gamer i respect and i just can't believe that like the careers are very short too that's the thing like for, for a competitive gamer to have a career longer than 
don't know, three, four years is remarkable. Like it's, you know, you, you often hear of athletes having, you know, healthy careers, but um, it's, it's, it's very short as well for, for esports. It can be so, but now, yeah, now it's uh, events here or there, but uh, particularly at ESPN, very much uh, focused on hockey and sports center, uh, which is obviously sports general. And I do a weekly UFC show um, that airs uh, digitally internationally uh, in certain ESPN uh, countries that have ESPN. So uh, that's, it's fun to do that because I, uh, my, my favorite sports, if, if we were to, uh, rank them would be hockey, fighting, soccer, uh, obviously pro wrestling too. Uh, so it's just nice to be involved, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How was there, uh, I, I guess we'll ask about your, your UFC diet, so to speak. So obviously with, uh, a young family as you have and, uh, all these other commitments and, and all that there is, uh, as I've noticed with a young kid, there is it's di- and responsibilities. There's, it's very difficult to keep up with the amount of UFC shows these days. And it's not really like my full-time job. So how do you kind of keep up with the constant drumbeat of UFC events like every single weekend? So you're still you're still knowledgeable, up to date to kind of how you want to be. Yeah, like back in the day, I when I was working on a daily combat sports show, I was watching every single fight. Right? Like I was watching prelims, the main card. I was watching post-fight press conferences, post-fight interviews, like everything, like consuming everything. This was like several years, maybe like 10 or 12 years ago. And now I don't do that much, but I definitely keep my finger on the pulse. Uh, I'll watch, I'll try to watch at least the main card of every show, including fight nights, just so that I can intelligently talk about them on our UFC show, or at least uh, intelligently enough set up the table for our analysts to speak on it. So I'm still interested. I still care a lot, especially when it's a big, uh, marquee fight. So my interest hasn't necessarily wavered. It's just not as, uh, carnivorous as it once was, I guess. Way to put it. Yeah. It, it's hard because, you know, years ago, kind of when the UFC boom, the post tough boom happened, it was, you know, there was way less events and you were able to really follow along with uh, every single fighter because they would fight generally three times a year. And there was a much smaller pool, which we had to kind of pay attention to. And now with, you know, 500, 600 fighters under the roster all over the world, it just, you know, at some point in the last few years, it's been really hard to have that emotional attachment to certain people going up and kind of down the rankings because it, it just, it's hard to keep track of that many fighters. I don't know if you felt the same way. Yeah. And, and, and back in the day, there was still established major competition, right? Or at least other major leagues. Like it, 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 it seemed it, it meant something if someone came from Pride or someone came from Strike Force right. to the UFC, right? Like, like I still remember, you know, Rampage Jackson's first couple fights in the UFC, or someone like Vanderlei Silva or Dan Henderson. You know, like just. Like the idea that these guys came in with such a giant cachet and, and 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 title shots were easier to come by for those fighters because they were so established, right? So it's almost like they were immediately thrown into the mix much quicker than would be now. Like now it's almost like you have to kind of make your rise in your own division. And then once you become a champion, then you kind of sort of clean out the division and then you can go and become a champ champ, right? Like that 
I mean, I remember that that being a conversation with like GSP and Anderson Silva. I remember like when they were at the yeah. height of their powers. Yeah. Like that was sort of the super fight that everyone was hoping for at that time, which obviously never happened. But like that was few and far between. We didn't really talk about fighters holding multiple championships. That was more a pipe dream than what it is now, which is almost like a level to attain something to dream about and something to actually pursue in the ufc today you know yeah yeah well put yeah the uh the dream fights yeah when you mentioned you know guys coming over i remember that was such a it's such a big deal if someone moved over from strike force um or when the strike force sale happened or when they merged with wec and brought them on it was just you know i i, I miss those days because the product even though it was still fighting there were so many differences right i mean the ufc there was a certain style and but WC had, you know, focused on the lightweights. It was just different people you couldn't latch on to. Um, obviously, you know, that was where guys like Chael Sonnen first kind of get their run and all these like Uriah Favors and Jose Aldo's and all these future stars. Strike Force had its own very unique thing. And then there was, you know, Elite XC. And it just was, it was just fun because it was all so new. You know, like I really, I, I miss those days a lot. Yeah, and a lot, and, and a lot of the fighters felt, it almost felt like 80s WWE in a way, right? Like a lot of the fighters were household names or they yeah. were like, like, don't get me wrong. There are marquee names today, but back then it just felt like all of them were like, I don't know. Maybe it was just because the UFC seemed to be more in the zeitgeist uh, at, at one point, like it, it, when it was at its peak of its powers in a way, like it's very popular now. I mean, like, like, Honestly, like with the with the sale with uh, or the merger, I should say, with WWE, like I feel like we are in for a whole new era of combat sports and, and, and it's just going to elevate and grow. And and both of them are going to elevate each other. And like that, like how how they're already talking about like super fight weekends where yeah. there'll be a let's say a UFC event on a Saturday and a WWE event on a Sunday. Maybe I got the dates wrong, but you know what I'm talking about? Like who's not going to like. Don't get, I get it. Maybe the crossover of fan is not as big, but like that's not, it's not about that. It's about the business side of it, the rentals of the arenas or the business implications, who they can even bring in. Like a lot of times they talk about this in sports all the time. The all star game, a huge part of any all star game in sports is to bring in all the advertisers and all the corporate partners for a fun weekend to then talk about how they're going to spend money on the league. Right. Like now they can create this like a WrestleMania weekend can have a giant fight attached to it. You know, like that's to me like that's a there's just as much a business implication to these uh, joint weekends and joint events, tentpole events happening as possible fan crossover. And someone just saying, oh, yeah, there's a WWE event. I might as well go check it out while I'm here for my UFC event that I wanted to come to. Sure. Yeah. It looks like the, we might have one in March because UFC just announced Saudi Arabia show and. That's right. a uh, that's a uh, a region WWE knows pretty well, so that could be our first uh, our first big weekend. So we'll see what happens there. Absolutely. And by the way, like looking at like it, it, exactly like different markets opening up and where uh, one might be po more popular than the other to help you know bring up the other one in that in those markets. Like we can't discount that 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 might be huge. It, it very well can be huge moving forward. So what is your uh, pro wrestling diet these days? Obviously there is since, uh, and we're going to go into your very extensive past with, uh, with wrestling, which includes indie promoting and, uh, and so on and so forth. But um, what, what is, how, how do you take in, what do you take in and, uh, and, and how do you, how do you watch given all the other, you know, uh, uh, polls on your life, so to speak? 
And I'm happy to dive into whatever you want to dive into. I'm going to kind of jump just because you asked this specific question. I like when I left WWE, I, I was not bitter. I was not unhappy. I was just burnt out from pro wrestling in general. That's the best way to put it. It was not a how dare they let me go or they hurt my feelings by letting me go and I feel slighted. No, no, no. I was just at a point where I just wanted to close the chapter on pro wrestling in my life. Like it was all consuming to me for a while. And WWE definitely was a, a, a goal that I wanted to attain. And when I attained it and it didn't work out for me necessarily, which is completely fine, I was ready to turn a new chapter. And at that point, I stopped watching wrestling entirely just because I was I was just done with it at the time. I was just like, I don't derive joy from this anymore. I want to pursue that's where luckily I got back into hockey and and all the other things that I'm doing, which I'm extremely grateful for. I do agree with say once it's in your blood, it always stays in your blood. I will say for me, I don't think that I'll ever get to that point where it's like I'm as passionate as I once was at the height of my passion for pro wrestling in my life. That might change if my kids love pro wrestling. If they love pro wrestling, I will absolutely vicariously live through their passion <laughs> once again. But like personally, from a career standpoint, like I recently did, I read, I went back to Stanford uh, a month ago and I did like a series of talking head interviews. And if that's my contribution to WWE moving forward, I'm completely happy with that. And it was a full circle moment for me because uh, you mentioned Kyle Edwards, like that's who I was at WWE. But now when I went and did those talking head interviews, I'm just Arda, which is great. Like I, and, and I was never upset that I changed my name to begin with. Like I knew that that was part of the deal and I was willing to accept that. So it never bothered me, but it's kind of cool that I'm in this era where, you know, in my career, I'm comfortable enough to not only use my name, but put the umlauts on my O and ESPN completely embraces that. And, you know, to see my name like that on a graphic in Sports Center is amazing. But now, to WWE's credit, when I went back and did stuff with them, and, you know, when I continue to do that, they have embraced it as well. So I, like, that's really cool to me. And that's a circle moment, something that I'm out of. So that's, it's, it's dope, man. It's awesome. I'm just very, very happy in that regard. Yeah. yeah. So, so what do you actually watch these days? Is it? Oh, today, yeah. Yeah. So let me let me not answer the question for like <laughs> five minutes while I'm like going on a circular. Um, I will watch whatever. So the the mainly I will watch uh, pay per views if I'm interested. P or uh, what are they called now? PLEs. PLEs. I'll watch those. Yeah. So I'll watch those. I will watch uh, matches that uh, rest. Like I I still ha I have friendships in the in the industry. So if uh, a friend of mine who's a wrestler will send me a match, be like, hey, what do you think of this? Or just like, here, like, look, watch this or whatever. I will definitely watch it. Um, I have not watched a full episode of any television show wrestling related since I left WWE. I'll watch segments here and there. I see stuff on social media. Uh, so I would say casual is probably the best way to put me. But I also feel like if I were to, like, watch a full week of stuff, I'd probably like, I'd have to get caught up on storylines and things like that. But I feel like it's kind of funny. Like I haven't used the, the wrestling analytical brain, but it's just there. Right. Like, and it's almost like fresh to me. So it almost yeah. feels interesting to, to think of wrestling in that way, you know, like 
it's fun again in a way to kind of fantasy book or just like analyze why someone did something in a match, things like that, or how even wrestling has changed and what's what's going on now, you know? So that part is fun. And, and I, I and it's also fun, though, because I get to do it when I want to do it. And it's not something I have to do every single moment of every single day. Sure. Yeah. Do you, do you take in any AW law or just WWE? No, I watch every, I, I watch whatever uh, people send me, but also I do watch uh, like anything that's interesting to me. Like, like, for example, a few years ago when like Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho had their thing in Japan, I definitely was curious about that because I thought that was really cool. Yep. Uh, I, I watch a fair amount. I'd say 50 50. Like I, I probably watch. Uh, yeah. 50 percent. If I were to cut, make a slice of the pie of what pro wrestling I watch. Yeah. 50 50. Probably AEW, WWE and then. Uh, stuff from in from the independence too like i i watched the um the wrestlers netflix documentary that was great oh you did okay I thought that I, was awesome yeah I, that I, was awesome i thought it was great yeah uh, so so being uh on the on the outside of this so to speak um and not in the day-to-day what do you make of the uh quite ridiculous uh online war between uh wb and, and aew fans or at least the loud segments of both i think the I'll share my quick thought. I think it's, uh, I think it's got like way too, uh, way too much, you know? I mean, like people that like five years ago could not be able to explain what a key demo is or rating patterns or anything like that. Now all of a sudden are like their own analytical experts. You know what I mean? It's like, it's wild to me that, that fans and, and, uh, they're so invested in what happens on a spreadsheet versus actually what happens in on their TV and whether or not they're excited about it. I'm just curious kind of for your observations, uh, you know, what you think about that? Cause there's really no like equivalent in terms of like other traditional, like traditional pro sports in terms of, you know, there's competition between teams, but not exactly for ratings or anything like that, you know, not, not in that specific uh, way, I guess. Sure. I feel like if the Monday night wars were happening and social media existed, it would be a very similar vibe. True. Yeah. I do feel like back in that day, people were very tribal about which company they supported. Now, I will preface this by saying I grew up in Canada. We really didn't have a Monday Night War per se because we didn't have Nitro and Raw on at the same time. I just heard we, that actually like John Pollock mentioned that on a podcast last week. Uh, John Pollock. What a beauty, by the way. Yeah. Love that guy. Yeah. Yeah. He mentioned that. And I'm like, that is crazy to me. But yeah, that's uh, yeah. That, yeah, it was sound- like a Monday, Wednesday kind of thing. And quite frankly, Raw would often be preempted, too. And while I was working at the score, Raw would actually be preempted by 15 minutes. Uh, so like it, oftentimes Canadians didn't get Raw live until like much, much later than the Monday Night Wars uh, and whatever sport was happening uh, at TSN had the rights at the time, which is the Canadian ESPN. So yeah. like I didn't get that same vibe, but now like digesting it after the fact, absolutely. It had the same vibe. I bet you there were pockets of people that were WCW loyalists and WWE loyalists. And quite frankly, that's good for business. So the more, you know, animosity or whatever they could drum up among the fans, that's good for both companies uh essentially because they want people to be fans of their product i kind of i think it's silly in the sense that looking at it from a business perspective there should be competition it's going to make wwe want to be more creative and more fun and more interesting there's also more places for the workers to work and make money which to me is the most interesting thing important thing i should say and like it makes the industry better like 
I remember like when I was going through the independence, it was a cool time because, well, it was, it was cool in the sense that TNA was the biggest competition and we had access to TNA talent, including like Christian Cage, Kurt Angle, whoever. Right. And a lot of the mid card TNA guys wanted to work with us because a lot of them, unfortunately at that time anyway, were not making enough of a wage to simply live off of what they were making from TNA. Right. So like they were constant, they were consistently finding independence to work for. And so we were in a great position in that regard because we were one spot that they knew that they could get a reliable paycheck. And we ran often enough that they could, you know, circle us on the calendar kind of thing. Uh, other than WWE where you, uh, people, you know, you go there, you make a primary wage, you know, that was very few and far between back then, but yeah. now there are multiple places. So that's good. That's good for business. I, I don't know what the business is going to look like in 10 years. I mean, no one really does, but like, I hope competition still exists. And I hope that AEW thrives for that reason, because it just makes everything better. Yeah. And more people make more money. I think that's the, the thing that when you have more opportunities for people to work, it's, it's again, more chances for, even if, you know, WWE is so far ahead financially from AEW. It's it's not even like it's not even close when it comes to that. But talent is in AEW is still making you know a lot of money, and that's a good thing. If if you have a very wealthy guy owning one company, they have a TV deal, they can bring people over and at least have true free agency. It sounds like I want to see what I'm worth. They even if they go back to WWE, I guarantee they're going to get more money there, and that's good. That's good for their health, their careers, all that stuff. I mean, that's a that's a really good thing. And I think that's a, a point that a lot of this um, vitriol tends to miss is it's good that AEW is around because forever it was just one major player and everybody else. So it's good if you have a, a second brand, even if they're far behind, that's still good for business. Exactly. And the outside pressure when your contract is up, outside leverage. And that's why a lot of wrestlers probably when they got to a main event level, were thinking of places like Hollywood because that became their outside leverage, right? Oh, you don't want to pay me what I think I'm worth here. Maybe I'll go become an actor in Hollywood and improve my brand. So you'll have no choice but to bring me back at a rate that I feel comfortable coming back for. Right. It's all economics like that. This happens with, you know, anyone who's, who's uh, actors or anyone who's on on camera uh, particularly, uh, you know, in, in the pro wrestling space. So, yeah, I find it very, very, uh, it's an interesting time to be a pro wrestling fan. The pro, Like, it's funny because I wouldn't say that, much, like the 80s, everyone was a household name, right? It felt like wrestling was very much pop culture. And like, even mid-card guys were household names. Like, like a lot more people on the street, I would guess, would know who Jake the Snake Roberts and Hacksaw Jim Duggan are, <laughs> then yes. would know um, upper middle, upper mid card people in today's pro wrestling, right? That's not yes. a slight on those people. I'm just saying that's just a fact, right? If I were, if you were to pull a thousand people, but, but wrestling probably is in a better place financially than it's ever been. It's generating more sponsorship than it's ever been. It's creating more incredible opportunities than it has ever done. And it's also attracting, like give credit to the people behind the scenes, like people like Nick Khan, uh, Tony Khan, like 
people, these kind of people who are billionaires or, you know, are, are, are making billion dollar deals in their career and are like very, very prominent and powerful business people deciding they want to work in the pro wrestling space is also a big deal. So like, I just, yeah, like it, it's just fascinating uh, where the pro wrestling space is and how, yeah, like where we are with it all, Josh, like it's, it's just really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I need to ask you this, Art. Have you made your millions off the Maximum Wrestling tape library yet? I haven't seen that cross the wire. Is there anything new on that you can tell me? <laughs> I wish. Yeah. Man, that, that would probably be a Scott Demore thing, actually. If, if anybody deserves to make millions off of that library, it would be Scott Demore. So yeah. he, we, 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 we defer to him in that regard. Although I will say uh, there were many a session where Scotty and I were doing commentary in someone's living room. Uh, for for maximum pro wrestling DVDs back in the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Scott. I interviewed him last year. Um, before it might have been Bound for Glory or uh, one of the big um Impact events, and it's uh it, it the as much as TNA and Impact have been maligned throughout the Russo and Dixie Carter years and things like that. Like he seems like a genuinely like good person, and he's um you know that company has been around forever, but he's not trying to position it as like a true competitor to WWE and, or even an AEW at this point. Like he's trying to put out a good consistent product from week to week, one that makes sense and is logical. And, uh, and he understands that, you know, they come up against big competition sometimes on Saturday nights, what have you. And he's just, he's like, essentially without saying, he said, we're an, an on demand company where people want to watch it. They can watch it whenever they want to. And, you know, for the most part, you know, people have uh, these days recognized him for good wrestling matches and and all that. But it's a, uh, but in talking with him, he he really has seemed to kind of find a nice niche there in Anthem Sports and, and Impact, and uh, seems to be a good guy to root for. He absolutely is. He's actually one of my favorite people in pro wrestling. Period. Uh, he and and actually, I have not reminded him of this very early in my uh, time in the Indies. We actually did a show, like a co-promoted show or, or something we, it, that took us to Windsor very early. This was like, I don't know, 2005, 2006, something like that. And he had a restaurant at the time. I think it was like a bar and grill kind of restaurant. And I just reached out to him on a whim, just being like, hey, man, let me like pick your brain on things. And like he just sat with me like he, he said, come to the restaurant. So a bunch of us went and then he just sat with me for like a good, I don't know half an hour, 45 minutes and gave me some real honest advice about what it was like to work in the industry and things like that. But like, he was like honest about it, but he wasn't discouraging, which is honestly how I approach uh, mentorship now. Like people that reach out to me and say, Hey, I want to work in broadcasting. I want to be a sports broadcaster. How do I get to ESPN everything? Like I follow that same pattern. That's sort of what Scott laid out to me that day. I'm very honest, but I'm also not discouraging it. Like I have that that vibe about it because it leaves people with the information they need to know, but also leaves them with the inspiration that they're looking for. And I will say that that's what Scott did for me that day. And we've never lost touch. I actually just saw him uh, when Impact was in White Plains. I didn't uh, have a chance to go to the show, but I caught up with him. I went to a diner with him. We sat there for hours upon hours, just just reminiscing about random stuff. 
we went to the Canadian Arctic together and did shows there like <laughs> 10 or 12 years ago. Like we, we've done a lot of random things. Wrestling takes you to some very random places, Josh. Like who would have thought you would ever, we'd ever go to the Canadian Arctic of all places where there's like still, like all the buildings are on stilts because of the permafrost and every building looks different. Like it's not like a suburb where like every house looks the same. No, no, no. Everything is like a different fabric for each house and a different color and, like wrestling had never been there before. The only other act that had been there in the last like 10 years was the white stripes filming a music video. Mm. And then here we come. Like it was insane. It was just like, what a crazy existence life. I don't know. It's just awesome. But yeah, yeah Scotty's the best. Yeah. Indies. If uh, for those that have worked for Indies before and been involved, which I, I have as well, it's a, uh, it's a really fun experience. And one that if you're just, if you're in it for the good of the promotion and, it's uh it can be a really rewarding experience because it's like uh especially small entities it feels like theater in a lot of ways in terms of just the promotion and, all, and people just trying to make it and and uh you know for those that realize yeah i'm not going to maybe make it to the big time but i'm going to do the best job i can at, at here they get involved there's storylines fans involved it's a it's a really rewarding experience if you like wrestling at all i found i dude i cherish my time in the independence because a lot of us, and, and this is how I treated myself, because I knew that I, I never had a dream of being a pro wrestler. I never wanted to take bumps. I never wanted to be, you know, win a championship. That wasn't me. I always wanted to be Mean Gene or Howard Finkel or Gorilla Monsoon or Jim Ross. Like, I always wanted to be the guy behind the microphone. But I also knew, especially in the independence, I'm not making a career out of it. So very much, I was a weekend warrior in that regard. One summer, I literally organized a, a, a cross camp a tour we did like i don't know maybe 15 shows across 25 days straight and i broke even on it like i somehow some way did not lose my shirt over this but the reason i did it when i look back on it now is because i just wanted myself and equally as much or maybe even more so the wrestlers that like busted their ass for us like week in and week out doing these shows, getting paid, whatever indies paid back in the day, like a pittance compared to what they deserve. Like, I just wanted them to feel like they were living like a full-time pro wrestler for even half a month, mm. you know? And they did. Like, we were on the road. We were acting like professionals. We were dialed into this life for 20 days. And it was like, I look back on that and I'm like, I'm glad that happened because some of us, didn't you know some, some of them did not go on to anything beyond the independence some of them did go on to bigger and better things some of them made wwe some of them made other promotions and so just that moment in time like to your point about the independence and the charm of it and and even like you know if people want a glimpse of it watch wrestlers on netflix like it's a very honest and yeah. true account of what the independent scene is like, like I, I, it hit me in the feels, man. Like I related to it a lot. And I had an Al Snow type uh, who worked for us uh, back in the day. And I was like, man, like that guy definitely exists at every independent, you know, uh -huh. like it's just hilarious. hundred percent, hundred percent. It's uh, it's, yeah, it's a scene. It's an absolute scene. Speaking of a scene. So uh, in, of course now, as you know, Everyone has a podcast. I mean, your neighbor has a podcast. Your <laughs> dentist has a podcast. I have two, Josh. I have two. You have two podcasts. <laughs> People have multiple podcasts. It's so many. Everyone gets one. It's like Oprah went through, right? Handing one out. But you did, you, uh, before really podcasts were a thing, uh, you did Aftermath TV. 
and aftermath tv was something that uh you really couldn't get obviously in the states as really before youtube was like as big as it was but you did a essentially a post show uh of after raw and then after smackdown and then you also did aftermath radio um with uh jimmy corderas and of course uh a very uh well-known uh broadcaster extraordinaire renee paquette we'll talk about more of her, her in a minute but really i mean this was back well like oh nine in that era and it's uh it was really kind of like like if that had been now it would have been kind of felt in felt in the, kind of the zeitgeist or the uh the the glum of all the different you know podcasts and things and, and youtube shows there are now but back then it was very unique or at least that was my perception of would you agree it, I think that was the perfect storm of um, things aligning such that a show like that could exist. So I'll tell you exactly how it happened. Uh, obviously grew up a, a loving wrestling. And my first real gig in that sense was I became a part-time, well, I was an intern at first when the score television network. So may, some people listening to this may know the score as a sports app, right? Um, it's, it, it's what it, it, it that, that's what the score is known for now. Back in the day, they had a national television network in Canada and they also had a serious radio station called hardcore sports radio. They did. The, and uh, so they, yeah. Maura now had a show on there. I was on that show and, multiple times. Yeah. Of, of which Josh, of which I probably called you yes. to be an insider on the show multiple times, Josh. Yes. yes that is our full circle moment, uh, yeah. because I was his producer. Yes. So, uh, but here's the thing. So I got in. I eventually became the producer of the fight show, which was Moro's show. And I happened to be in the walls when the vice president of programming sent out an email and said, hey, we're looking for ideas for programming. If you have anything, here's the one page form. Now, what people should know about the Score Television Network back in that time was it was very much the little engine that could. Creativity was fostered there. It was encouraged. They did not have many rights at all. There were two big Canadian sports entities. There was TSN and there was Sportsnet. And all the big ticket items, NHL uh, in Canada, obviously, NFL, NBA, MLB, they were all elsewhere. The score's biggest ratings came from wrestling, from WWE. They had the WWE rights. So when this email came out, in my head, I, I'm sure like many wrestling fans did, I had a thought of, well, there's sports post-game shows all the time in studio why can't this work for wrestling so i literally filled out the one-page form let's do a wrestling post-game show we have me we have moro we have uh renee in in house why don't we create a show and put it together and see how it goes i sent the email i got an email back like 20 minutes later go into the person's office and have a discussion about this and the first show that we did which was at the time called right after wrestling was yes, December yes. of 2009. We yeah. did that December of 2009. And that show lasted on the air for a good 10 years. Mm. And it went through many iterations. It went through changes. But it was weekly at first, twice weekly then. And uh, the big thing, of course, was the lead and audience. Because it came on after the Raw replay on Tuesdays and after SmackDown. And that was massive because if you're a wrestling fan, you especially in Canada, you probably have never seen a studio show about wrestling on TV after you're watching the WWE show, right? Like that probably never happened in Canadian wrestling history. And then, and, and remember, Canadian wrestling fans were used to like Raw being preempted and like, 
time shifted and like wrestling not really getting the respect it deserves in the eyes of wrestling fans. So then for us to have a studio show was a breath of fresh air for wrestling fans. It was as if we were treating it seriously to them as if we were. And it wasn't like like it wasn't like we were treating it like it was real. It was more we were discussing it like wrestling fans would discuss it. And that's what they loved. And I believe that's why it became so popular. And so uh, and, and honestly, it became a breeding ground for a lot of uh, talent that would eventually get to WWE, uh, Renee included, who's an absolute superstar. So like, it's just, I'm very proud of that because I consider it in many ways, my baby. Like I, you know, I pitched the show. I helped create the show. Like it, I'm very proud of that. I, I definitely see that as a career highlight because it's, it's very difficult to get a show greenlit, let alone on the air, let alone have it survive for 10 years. So yeah. And then in compliment to that, to what you were saying, Hardcore Sports Radio, I then went to the radio director and said, could we do a weekly show uh, after after Raw on Mondays itself? Because we were airing on Tuesdays after the Raw replay on TV. And to his credit, a guy by the name of Mike Gentile, he said, yes, I will uh, absolutely have you do a show. You can do it for an hour afterward, after Raw is done. And so that's where – and that was perfect timing because on the independence – that's when like Jimmy Corderas happened to just show up at one of our independent shows and him and I just became best friends instantly. And then I just popped into my head, Hey, do you want to do like a segment on this show where we do like an ask a ref thing where you just like answer a couple questions? And he was like, absolutely. And that grew to, Hey, do you want to fill in one week and just like sit with me for a show? And he was like, absolutely. And then that just became, we became co-hosts for 10 years. Yeah. It's <laughs> That's a- exactly how it happened. It's wild that, you know, you mentioned how, um, you know, Canadian fans were, were kind of upset with how wrestling, they weren't able to kind of see wrestling maybe how we were in the States, obviously. But it's uh, it struck me two weeks ago when uh, Adam Copeland um, made his debut on uh, AEW Dynamite News. And it was it was Renee, uh, Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega, and then Adam Copeland. All these Canadian stars, okay? And then you have, um, I mean, Christian is obviously doing great things. There's uh it's it's incredible to me. I was thinking about this today. Uh, you know, there was the law, there was your show, there was other ones that Canada really gets undersold in terms of how important it's been in wrestling history, in terms of the fan base, in terms of the contributions, in terms of actual talent, both uh on air and in the ring. It's uh it's really it it's to me, it's completely undersold. There's so many great wrestlers and personalities that have come from Canada. It's uh it's it's pretty fascinating in terms of wrestling history. Again, undersold in my opinion. Yeah. And also I think like Canadians, especially when I was growing up, there was a sense of pride if a Canadian would make it in America because yeah. we thought it was so difficult to do. And in many ways it is difficult to do still, but like we took it as a point of pride because Canada, a country of, well, now 40, but like at the time, 30 million people, a tenth of the population of the United States. Like we just saw it as, you know, we're the little brother or little sibling, I should say, up north. Right. And so if one of ours made it in the land of opportunity, the American dream. Right. It was it was really cool for us. It was awesome. It was a point of pride. And we bring it up all the time. Like it would we'd be like, oh, this is you know awesome. And like Canadian wrestlers. Like Bret Hart was the best, the, the the Hart Foundation, Owen, like all the, you know, the Canadian contingent. I remember being proud when I learned that Earthquake was Canadian, when when John 
Tenta was Canadian. Yeah. I was like, yes, Vancouver, this is amazing. John Tenta, woo! Like it was like a it was like a big deal to me. Cause like they never like I didn't know about the Canadian earthquake stuff, right? Like I I like missed that the few weeks he did that. So yeah. like when I discovered that, I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. You know. But um, but yeah, no, and and I guess that tradition continued. And so and wrestling, you know, like the 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 pride of people and personalities is on hyperdrive in wrestling. So uh, it only makes sense that, you know, Canadians would follow suit, especially in the Canadians that make it, which is amazing to see. Yeah. How often do you uh, chat with Renee? Is you guys still close? We talk every I, t- I send her a text, the you know, holidays kind of thing. We don't talk. We don't talk every week. Uh, whenever I see a clip on social, I'll send it to her and like, you know, you know, a few emojis here and there kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, she's awesome, dude. Like she's she's a rock star. Like she, when I look back on it now, like I. I actually texted her this like maybe a year ago um, when she she she's done our show a couple of times, our um, our hockey show at ESPN a couple of times. Uh, and, and I after one of them, I said, man, like, I wish that I had another chance to do like an actual show with you. Like, I, I hope that that opportunity comes in some way, shape or form, you know, because I feel more comfortable now, I guess is a good way to put it. Like back then I was so like more wound up and worried to say the wrong thing and like you know i was so like wrestling head do you know what i'm trying to say like yeah yeah, i was very like nervous to have a wrong opinion or like i i I wanted to make sure that what i was saying was like perfect but now i just feel more comfortable in the things i'm saying or just more comfortable in my own skin maybe so like i would like it would be so like we had a great show and the vibe was great but like now where I am now and my level of comfort, especially on camera and just like the vibe of everything, I feel like it would be awesome to uh, have that opportunity. Uh, but then that would mean I would have to beat up RJ City and that would probably be a little too difficult for me. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to mess with the wrestle odds. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I can't do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think basically what you're saying is you found your voice and that can be difficult for people to do. And it sounds like you're, that's kind of what you're saying. Yeah, like just comfort and just like being your like everyone the the big advice you got oh you got to be yourself you got to be yourself right like for me it was being comfortable with present like because I I identify very much as a nerd like I'm very I have a very nerdy vibe to me like you just like I do a Star Wars podcast for crying out loud and that's <laughs> one of the most that's to me Josh that's one of the coolest things I do I'm not even kidding I love Star Wars I do. And I think it's the coolest thing that I get to say. I do an official ESPN Star Wars podcast. Like to me, that's like bucket list stuff. To me, that's like I want to put that front and center on my uh, bio on Wikipedia and I, on my website or whatever. Like that, I love that. I think it's awesome. And yeah. I'm just like, that's my vibe, right? So like, it's not for everyone. Like you know, nerd, nerd this, nerd that, whatever. But like. I, I I'm I don't know maybe it's an age thing maybe I'm just like I don't care anymore like I'm just happy I'm a video game playing Star Wars loving uh hockey historian nerdy pro wrestling uh in the blood dude exactly. and I'm just like okay cool I, I and I'm, I'm just happy with it now maybe that's maybe I'm just at peace with it all maybe I'm just like completely comfortable and you're a dad to your too point. yeah that guy it, it fits a whole circle yeah that know? changes things too yeah that changes things too you're it right does. um you mentioned Kyle Edwards earlier. You're a two-year run almost at WWE. Did you um want to go back to that? Did you apply there or did they like how did that come about? And do you remember? I'm sure you remember the day you got the call that they were going to bring you on. 
I do remember the day that was uh, on my birthday, actually, in 2014. Uh, I just randomly actually let me tell the whole story because it'll get to the moment. But uh, I actually auditioned several times. So I my first audition was 2009. I was not ready at all. I went there. I bombed. It sucked. It was bad. Like just a terrible (laughs) audition, dude. It was it was so bad. Yeah. Uh, so I did not hear from WWE for a good, I don't know, three and a half years after that, but, uh, they did, I, I did get back on their radar because of aftermath and they were actually watching the international department in particular, were watching the show every week, uh, because they just like to keep tabs on the international markets and they were like, Oh, what's the show that these guys are doing in Canada or these folks are doing in Canada. So I got back on their radar. So then I had a second audition that went really well. I didn't get chosen. Okay, fine. You know, I moped about it for a while. And then NXT, when it was really getting into like, the thing is, is that I often think I, I like my career, I wish I could like from my pro wrestling standpoint, if I slid my career like five, six years, I probably would have had a much better chance much sooner, like doing wrestling content. If I was doing that level of wrestling content in like 2016, 2017, 2018, I probably would have like gotten in on that like Sam Roberts, Peter Rosenberg track. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Like yeah. where they were they were bringing in like the wrestling fan expert uh, to collaborate because back in the day that didn't exist. So NXT, they were doing a round of auditions. I went. That was probably 2013, late 2013. Uh, uh, that didn't work out. Then I got another audition a couple months later. And then that was like, this is going to be my last one. So I just went in like full confidence. I was just like, I'm, this is the last one I'm going to do. I feel, and I'm just going to knock this out of the park. And the, to, to <laughs> probably what was beneficial to me was that the, the, the audition was a, exactly the same as the first one in 2009 so i i i knew all of the tricks or everything that was going to come to me because it was the same stuff it was a basically a, a copy audition of that so like i was just completely comfortable in my own skin and they were like all right you're ready for this so finally uh on my birthday i was flying home from vancouver to toronto and i just texted michael cole on a whim uh just to follow up and then he called me like this later and then he was like all right I think we're going to do this. Finally, we're going to sign you. Don't tell anyone. And then I was like, wow, happy birthday to me. Wow. <laughs> so, so I, I kept that and we went through the summer and then I, uh, started in the fall and moved and yeah, that's how that's, that's the journey to get to WWE, which was, which was a process in itself, but yeah. I'm glad I went through it. Cause it was, uh, you know, paid off in the end. Once you got there, um, I'm sure you had some expectations and how things were going to go and, and all that were you, uh, did the, did your expectations met? Did something change along the way or how, how was your, as how was your experience during your time there? I got hired to do uh, my first assignment really was to do international work. So uh, a lot of international market, uh, standup segments and different shows like this week in WWE, bottom line, that kind of stuff, experience, a lot of studio shows. And I knew that coming in. I also knew my name would change. And that's a, that's a funny story in itself. Like how did, how did Art O'Cal become Kyle Edwards? I knew it would change. I knew that, uh, they, if, if, if I had a more, um, I guess like a, a different first name, like sometimes they keep the first name. If it is a common first name, Art is not a common first name in North America. And so, 
uh, that I would I would guess maybe that's one of the reasons I know they change the names, at least at the time, uh, due to IP reasons. They just want to keep the name. Totally fine. I knew I was like, I'm not upset by this at all. The funny thing was they tasked me and the international department to come up with names. So like, okay, so now we're brainstorming names, whatever. And I see the list from the international department and I'm like, I can tell that like maybe three people took this seriously because like there's <laughs> names like Ray Donovan on the list oh, okay. and like Armin Van Buren, like, like, like obvious famous people are on this list and you're just like, yeah, I'm going to be Ray Donovan. Hey, uh, welcome back to WWE experience. I'm Ray Donovan. That's really going to happen. So I put together a list, like thinking of what WWE would look for. So like two first names, right? Like Tom Phillips, Justin Roberts, Jim Ross, Michael Cole, uh, Josh Matthews, like whether it was their real names or not, that was a very common theme. So I put a lot of that together or alliterated names, right? Like, you know, same letter, first name, last name. I, I tried sure. to find a bunch of that. The one I was really hoping for was a last name Turk because my parents are from Turkey. That's my ba yeah. cultural background. I thought I might be able to get away with that. So as the story goes, Josh, and I've heard this from three different people in WWE, so I'm going to choose to believe it. Uh, back in that time, Vince McMahon obviously was very, very involved with everything. Even little details like what name Arda Ocal should have on WWE television. So after a creative meeting, they go through the odds and ends, and one of them is, all right, we're bringing this guy. Here's the list of names. Vince, have a look. And he looks at it, and I have a terrible Vince impression, but he looks at it, and he goes, uh, all these names are garbage. And then he thinks about it for a second, apparently goes, we don't have a Kyle right now. And then he just sits there, just lets it simmer. And like when he says something, especially at that time, like it's happening. So I knew then, or everyone knew then, I didn't know yet, Kyle was going to be the name. And for five minutes, my name was actually Kyle Richards. Hmm. Uh, on, I got a call and my boss was like, your name is going to be Kyle Richards. Don't tell anyone, but we're just going to you know, process it through legal and that's it. Congratulations. All right. Am I all right? So I text my, you know, immediate family and friends. All right, I, this is my name. Uh, but they didn't Google the name. And apparently Kyle Richards is the name of like a real housewife on television, like one of the shows. OK, I didn't know this. I don't watch it. But like apparently it was. So then my boss calls back five minutes later and says, uh, actually, we found another Kyle Richards online. So you're Kyle Edwards now. And I'm like, OK, <laughs> no problem. I was really married to that Kyle Richards. Like, all right. I'm really sad about it, Josh. I, you know, <laughs> you threw down a glass. You're just like, God. Ah, <laughs> why i could have been richard yeah just a really sad day for me yeah yeah, yeah. So did that's, you, that's the story of how i got the name did you ever make it to uh to actual tv uh domestic raw no uh, i did uh, a bunch of international raws like india india different markets but like tv tv no nxt yes uh tv tv no like like raw smackdown uh i believe i did one pay-per-view I did the, the the coolest gig I did, honestly, was the Madison Square Garden show. They did like a special, um, it was a special event. It wasn't a pay-per-view. It was, this was during the WWE Network, like special event. And they did it like, uh, they I guess they televised that house show mm -hmm. at MSG. I forget, I know Brock was there. Um, oh, I think it was yes. Kevin Owens and, yes, and Chris yes. Jericho. I think that yes. was one, a match. Yep. So that one, I was the backstage guy. And that was a cool one because I could, you know, like, at least I can say I got to work MSG 
for WWE in some capacity. So that was cool. Uh, that was really cool. That was probably the highlight of my um, stuff. Oh, and I also got to host a DVD release. I made a big, the, the, like the second week I was there, I went to like every producer that works in like originals, like anyone documentaries and stuff. And I said, Coliseum video was my jam yes. growing up. Those yes. video releases were the best. If there's ever any release that I can host, I don't care what it is. I will do it. So lo and behold, the most random circumstance, there was this Canada only DVD called our nation's pride. And it just featured Canadian wrestlers. It not, not Canada versus Canada, but like the whole vibe of it was, Let's celebrate Edge and celebrate Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn and celebrate Trish Stratus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they let me host that. And I'm like, I'm good. This is awesome. I'm going to just say I did a Coliseum video release. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that was that was the best. So, so it, it, I don't so I don't know if you can confirm or deny the rumor that you were up for uh, bloops, bleeps and body slams, too. Is, can you confirm that or not? A three and four if they had made it. Okay, uh, gotcha. smack them, whack them seven. Uh, also, that would have been in there as well. Uh, man, what were the other names? There was a bunch, oh they, had, they had some really good, dude. They had some really good matches on those. Like the original, was it like the Brett and Sean ladder match was on one? Yeah, it's the only from like I mean, 92. We only had like, I mean, if you didn't have cable, you were basically like one or two hours a week max. I mean, you, the, any, any, you went to the video store. And this is, it was like Christmas. Every time they had some like, you know, the best of WWF volume seven or something like that. It was like Andre and John Studd on the cover, something like that. Like, oh my <laughs> God, I can't believe I found this. You know, it's like, that was, it, you know, you're going to explain to your kids. I'm going to explain to mine. Like it didn't used to be this way where everything was in your phone. You actually had to work to get, to actually get wrestling content, you know? It was amazing. I'm yeah. I, I was that guy, by the way. Going to Blockbuster oh, on like yes. a Friday night, renting all the wrestling pay per views or the wrestling uh, VHS tapes I could. Oh my god! Amazing. Yes, yes. that was, was the, that awesome. was the best. Um, kind of rounding the bend here. Take me in your decision to leave. I know you say you don't leave, and then you know maybe a bitterness against WB or anything like that. Was it just when did you realize kind of the burnout was real and that was time to go? Probably a year and a half in. Uh, I it was very much mutual. Like I think that they. Uh, I guess, I don't know, I guess my path just didn't like grow to the degree that I thought it would. Maybe uh, I wasn't necessarily getting the opportunities I thought that I might be getting when I came in. And maybe WWE wanted to go a different direction as well. And all of that factored into me just separating with WWE. I kind of ran my course. Uh, to their credit, I worked there. Like I still had like a few months left on my deal and they just paid me out uh, to their credit. And so I was very, you know, happy about that. Gave me an opportunity to uh, to kind of reset and find other work. And I like honestly that year, I still remember this very clearly. I think that was the WrestleMania. What was it, like the biggest one, like hundred thousand people or whatever. The, yeah. I think it was the one in Dallas. I didn't watch that WrestleMania. I was working for WWE that year, and I knew that I wasn't doing anything that weekend uh, in terms of working at WWE that weekend, like not no content, nothing. So I was like, all right, uh, I got an opportunity to go host a film festival in New York. So I did that. Wow. And I didn't watch WrestleMania. And I was like, you know, like that was sort of like the culmination of like, not, not again, it's not bitterness at all. It was just more like, I just kind of, I think we're just kind of separating, you know, paths are, are, are diverging. So, yeah. I was like, I, when that happened, I was, and I didn't miss it and I didn't feel bad about it. I was like, I think I need to reset my career and kind of, you know, realign and, and focus. So 
Uh, and then soon after I got let go with a bunch of other, uh, you know, in those post WrestleMania cuts, I was one of them and I, I, I kind of saw it coming and I didn't feel bad about it at all. And I had no, I really don't. A lot of people ask me this because I think a lot of people do maybe they, some, that's the first question people always have is like, do you have any ill wills or any drama, anything like that? Because sometimes there is. In my case, there absolutely was not. There is, there really isn't. I just was done with yeah, wrestling, just, period. Yeah. But all wrestling. Like I didn't watch a single second of wrestling for, I don't know, two or three years at least. And it was good for the soul in a way because it just let me focus on other stuff but also realize that I missed other things. And it led me back to hockey, which is, you know, I'm extremely grateful for. So yeah. now and the other thing is now when I play in the wrestling sandbox and I can, you know, that's the other thing is like I feel I still feel welcome by not only like going back to WWE like last month, for example, I was just there for a day and seeing old friends and everything. But like it very much felt like people were like, hey, it's great to see you. Like it felt like like it felt like I there was no it was almost as if like oh, it was a cathartic experience in a way. Because like whenever you leave a company, it doesn't matter whether you work in entertainment or not. You always feel like awkward at first going back to that company if you ever do. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like it was just nice that it was such a good vibe. It just felt like a reset and just a, a, a different era in a way yeah. uh, where I feel comfortable, you know, playing in the wrestling sandbox and being in that world uh, and, and and creating in that world, uh, however that may look. And at, at a level where I feel like I'm just I'm just confident in that, you know, like it's just just going back to being confident in your own skin. Like it just feels just feels more right in a way. It just feels cool. So, yeah, I'm super pumped about that. Yeah. Do you ever have any interactions with Vince, like direct interactions, him or Triple H or anyone back then? Triple H a little more than Vince. Vince, I only shook his hand once at the WrestleMania party. Like it was they yeah. they they have the WrestleMania party like way later, or I guess like the end of year party, quote unquote, I guess, uh, in Stanford for the uh, corporate people. And uh, the whole McMahon family uh, was there. And uh, that was really the only time from a I'm a com uh, I'm an employee of the company perspective that I interacted with him. Gotcha. Uh, Triple H a little more, uh, maybe a couple conversations here and there, uh, shadowing at NXT, and then finally doing a few NXT episodes. But beyond that, not really, honestly. Yeah, yeah. and now Triple H is in charge of basically the almost in charge of basically the whole thing now. And uh, Shawn Michaels is NXT, and it's uh, wild times. You know, wild times to think back when uh, DX was storming the norfolk scope that uh <laughs> that all of a sudden those two guys are going to be heading up uh this multi multi-billion dollar company absolutely crazy to think about that now and actually triple h uh well he he still remembers me which is funny uh when we the last inter interview we did on espn like he just kept uh uh stretching it longer oh like, nice like, i the, uh, we were scheduled for 20 minutes and then he's like no nah, nah, just keep, let's keep going and then, so we went for like a half an hour and he was like no nah, you know what i time to talk went to 45 minutes and he's like actually do you have any more and i was like well yeah i mean if you're gonna i'll keep asking you a bunch of questions uh and we ended up talking for like an hour and a half that's awesome and it was just really funny because it was like but i felt bad it was like yeah let's like put the full interview somewhere or whatever but like this was for like a segment for a 30 minute show so it's like a lot of the, most of this is gonna not make it at all for the show right I think we repurposed it in different places, but like, I just felt bad because it was like, I only needed like, I don't know, three minutes of this. 
You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, it yeah. ends up being like 90. I'm yeah. like, uh, yeah, yeah. That's he was very gracious. He was very nice. He was very gracious though. That's awesome. Well, um, you've been very gracious with your time. And uh, before we let you go, I always give you a chance to, uh, to plug away. Uh, obviously, you're, you're on Twitter and uh, other social media. Plug away where people can see you, uh, interact with you, feel everything it is. Argo Ocal, the floor is yours. Uh, yeah, listen to the fight show. Uh, combat sports analyst Josh Nason joining us tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> breaking down all fights. Dude, you, how many, do you remember how many times you came on? It had to be at least like five or six, right? Oh like yeah, you were you were definitely in the rotation. I remember. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, I think I have a lot of those interviews, if not all of them, saved. I'd love to know how many that were. You have to be up near upper middle, I would say. Like I, I remember, I remember you you bailed us out a couple times. I I do remember that. Yeah, I think I called you on late notice at more than once. Yes, where like we had someone booked and they just completely ghosted. What a shock, Josh! Someone in the combat sports world ghosting an interview. Imagine oh that. my gosh! I know. Right? Imagine that. Imagine that. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. Spent, spent a lot of times waiting for MMA fighters to interviews back in the day, and like four hours later they call. It's like, oh shit! I guess I got to get all my stuff together and actually, you know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, I, I remember the first time I did the fight show, I was like shaking. I was so nervous, like, oh my God, I'm finally on this like thing. And and uh and you know, a couple of couple of you know episodes in, I was uh, I was all good. I was all good. Oh yeah, it was awesome. No, I appreciate you doing that, dude. Uh yeah, yeah no, just the social media, man. Follow me at Art on Twitter X and uh Art Ocal on Instagram. Just yeah. and then anything I have I'll post there. But uh I appreciate this, man. This was really cool, fun little chat, uh trip down memory lane. Let's do this again sometime. Absolutely. And uh, I must shout out a, uh, a a friend of yours, uh, Barry Melrose, who is a, oh, we, yes. have another, we have another connection, you and I through Barry Melrose, a very unique one. So obviously you work with him a long time. He's uh, dealing with uh, Parkinson's disease, obviously, you know, sad illness and, uh, and, and, you know, thoughts with him. Um, Barry Melrose. So you and I share a lineage in the American Hockey League because you were a, a broadcaster for the Toronto Marlies, correct? Yes. So I worked for six years for in two AHL teams. Uh, first, uh, one year for the Portland Pirates, uh-huh. uh, the American Hockey League, and, me, and then uh, the first five years of the Manchester Monarchs in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire. And we brought in Barry Melrose for Mullet Night. So Mullet Night was a, a promotion <laughs> that we're going to take credit with creating because no one, else, especially in hockey, no one else had done it. And we did, when I was there, we did three of them. And he was either in, I think he was in either for the first one or the second one. And we brought him in for, as part of the mullet night. We did, you know, 5,000 mullet week giveaway. And it was just, it was a whole thing. And instant sellout, like when we announced the dates. And he came in, he was so in on the joke. He was involved. He was like such a great person to be around. And like, you know, some people, you know, if you're coming in for a mullet night, you have to have a sense of humor. And uh, he had a tremendous <laughs> sense of humor about it. it, was up for anything we wanted to do. He did some uh, some press before with one of the uh, the local radio stations that was a big partner of ours. So yeah, I, I was sad to see that news, but I I thought of uh, I thought of that mullet night and how cool he was back then. Do you do you still have any merch from this mullet night? I will pay you whatever price you put on it. <laughs> I would love it if you uh, did. That amazing. I have I must have something around here somewhere. I, I have a, a bunch of boxes and things like that off the if you ever the, find anything, this could be this could be offline. We don't have to more <laughs> listeners like, what right are they, now, why yeah. are they talking about Barry Melrose for yeah. 20 minutes? Yeah. Uh, uh, memories, although I would happily do that. Yes, we could definitely talk about that. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that, was, that. That was tremendous. Yeah. Uh yeah, you catch him on obviously as you mentioned your socials and 
NHL coverage. Again, uh, follow the, the rise of Connor Bedard and, and, uh, and hopefully a better uh, postseason for the Boston Bruins than last year. I will tell you that much. Yes. And just remember, Connor Bedard, bigger ratings than John Cena, The Undertaker, uh, uh, Adam Copeland, Christian Cage. It, it, it begins now, all right? The That's Bedard right. effect, buddy. The Bedard effect in full swing. That's right. That's right. And <laughs> it, before I let you go, I know one more thing. Yeah. In your, in your Twitter bio, there's a, a great story about essentially what's in a name and about your path to getting, being comfortable with having your name be accepted. Um, and some people maybe think this is, that doesn't make any sense. It's crazy. You list it and, and being told like a lot of other broadcasters have been like, your name is too ethnic sounding or people aren't going to understand it or whatever. And you were mentioning earlier about Kyle Edwards and Kyle like being a, a, a proud of kind of how you can have your name there. I would advise people to check out that uh, that column, that uh, insight that you wrote. I thought it was uh, really good, really insightful and uh, well done. Put it that way. Oh, thanks, Josh. I appreciate that. Yeah, That's link good. is on the bio. Yeah, good stuff there. Arno Cal, thanks so much and I uh, hope to talk to you soon. Absolutely. All right. Big thanks to Arda for hanging out. That was a good uh, conversation. It was done in his car, and the audio actually sounded really good, which I was uh, very happy with. But yeah, we spent a lot of time. He made uh, enough time for me and uh, got all the questions answered. And it was, uh, yeah, someone that you know, had, had worked in that environment uh, in a much different era for WWE. I was so fascinated talking to him again. Someone that worked on the indies for a long time and then just kind of made his own path in an era where, as you heard me mention on the, on the show, that you know, it's kind of like really pre-podcast and you know, we're so used to like everything on YouTube and everything on Twitch and podcasts. There's no shortage of opinions. And there really wasn't a ton of that in the way that they were doing with both Aftermath and Right After Raw. So it was uh, really good at talking about that. Wanted to do that forever and then hopefully have him back at some point. It's also fascinating to get his take on uh, uh, ratings and all that crazy type of stuff as well, uh, given uh, he's a, a not in the world as much as he used to be. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation. There'll be many more uh, in the weeks ahead because we are coming up on November. How about that? November, right? And we're coming up on the year in review series. We go through every single month in the world of pro wrestling, quarterly in the sport of Kings MMA. And that is coming up. 16 episodes coming at you starting in November and running through uh, the first week of January. So a lot to come ahead, a lot of work for yours truly, but I'm up for the game and up for listening to it. It'll be the third year of doing the best of uh, wrestling, and I think, God, year five or six, I think, in MMA, something like that. So good stuff ahead, lots of content ahead, and maybe uh, we'll sneak a few uh, interviews in before that. But I wanted to get this one done, and I uh, was glad to make it happen. So uh, big thanks to Ardo Cal. Let him know you heard the show. Uh, if you're a member from the Right After Raw, Aftermath days, and Kyle Edward days, let him know. I'm sure he'll enjoy that as well, and uh, check him out on ESPN. So until next time, thank you for listening. Insert catchphrase here.